0: Well, thank you again for having us. It's it's a real treat for us to be here. Um, my kids love coming to other churches. It's a weird thing, actually. But they love coming and um, seeing other Christians, meeting other Christians, and realizing that we we're a part of a bigger family. And um, I love that, too. And I think it's one of the best things about getting together with God's people is we realize just how rich and wonderful it is that we can stand together and really have... Strangers feel close to us, even though we don't really know each other. And I'm grateful that we get to hear God's word together this morning. Why? Why the church? I mean, I've told you a little bit already, but there is something spectacular that God does when he brings together his people in the church. What is it that he does? Well, we're going to explore that a bit today. But I just want you to look at Ephesians chapter one. Keep your Bibles open to Ephesians. We're going to be there all day today. But look at Ephesians one and look at verse 22. God placed all things under his feet. That's Jesus and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ has been exalted high above every power every authority, and He is bringing us into Him. He's claimed victory for us and enabling us to participate in the victory that He's achieved. With this, if you just flip over to chapter 3, verse 10, we're going to look at this again a bit later today. But look at at verse 10 of chapter 3. His intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's spectacular. That that, that doesn't seem like spectacular to us. We come together in the pews. We sit down. Our kid screams. It's hard enough to get through the door. But when we come together, something majestic is happening. The mystery of God's will from eternity past is being declared to realms unseen. To rulers and authorities, to spiritual powers, to places we can't even imagine. And it's declaring the goodness of God to us in Jesus. How great is the gospel. Now, I get excited about that, and I'm hoping you will today, too. And today we're going to look at three different things. I'm not going to give you a bunch of theology lectures, even though that's what I'm paid to do most days during the week. Um, What I want to do is work us through the biblical text. We're going to look at a portion of Ephesians 2 this session. Next session, we'll look at a portion of Ephesians 3. And then we'll look at Ephesians 4 this evening. And what I'm hoping you'll see is a few things about the church. First of all, a people. That's us. A people who belong to God as His people, brought to peace. By Jesus. A peaceful people. That's what we're going to explore this session. Next, we're going to look at a prayer. Next session. A prayer for us. A prayer for strength. To stand in God's strength in a day when we could easily despair. That we should not despair as God's people. As God's church. In a day where it seems maybe we should give up. And finally, we're going to see a plan, a plan for us, a plan for us as God's people to be growing up into the fullness of Christ, to be maturing as Christian men and women growing up into Jesus. And we're going to look at that this evening as we see God's plan for us. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll look carefully at Ephesians chapter two. Father, how great it is to join together as your church. You bring us together, you gather us together as your people. And you do it so we can hear from you in your word. You do it so we can give expression to the great things that you've done in us, bringing us from darkness to light. Turning us from sin and bringing us, by your grace, to trust Jesus. Giving us new life, making us one new people. And it's easy for us to think that what we do is just simple maybe even ineffective, perhaps unimportant. But I pray that today, as we hear from your word, we would capture once more a vision for what you're doing in us as your people. And we pray that you might receive glory because of our time. It's in Jesus name we ask it. Amen. Well, this first uh, this first session, I want to ask you if you think we really have a place with God. Do you really have a place with God? I don't know if it's a question that you would really ask. Some might. You might think to yourself, I don't know that I really belong with God. I'm not really like others who are religious. I've never been particularly churchy. I'm maybe not very moral. I've done some pretty bad things in my life. I'm really not sure that I belong. When I was in school, I remember there was this one guy... Who used to roam the halls? He was the loudest guy in my high school. He was obnoxious as all else. And he would yell at everybody that came past. He would do practical jokes to anybody that came by. And he would say really crude things. And suddenly, after high school finished, he heard about Jesus. And his heart was captured, he was captivated by the gospel. But you can imagine what he would feel. I used to be that guy. How could I have a place with God's people? I was the party goer. I was the football star. But now he was known by Jesus, and this caused a real identity crisis. Did he really belong at church? Have you asked that question? I suspect maybe the opposite's true for us today. We don't necessarily feel a problem having a place with God. We actually feel entitled to it. I deserve a place with God. Who would you be to tell me? Even you, God, that I don't have a place with you. Today's culture, of course, is one that says you're not allowed to judge me. I can be who I want. I can live how I want. I can say what I want. I can do as I please. I'm a free person after all. And everyone, even God, should accept me. And I think that's it. I think it's acceptance that we're really after. Because even when we make these demands, you must receive me like this, it's because we are desperate to be accepted. And we are terribly afraid of what would happen if we weren't. What if somebody said, you can't be like you. You can't do what you want to do. You're not okay as you are. That's a frightening thought for us. What if my dad isn't proud? What if my mom says that I've not met her expectations? What if I'm a disappointment? What if I don't get a promotion? Or maybe worse, what if I actually get fired? What if my kids don't actually... Love me. Respect me. What if people at church see what I'm really like? What if God says I'm not welcome with him? Do you know what it's like not to be accepted? The question of Ephesians two eleven to 22, the second half of Ephesians 2, where we're going to look just now. I think is do we have a place with God and his people and we're going to look at it in three sections in this passage and you've got notes in your booklet so you can follow along. The first thing that we are going to see is our past. We need to remember our past. Everyone, of course, has a past. You've got one. I've got one. And some of us want to make light of this, but most of us, I suspect, feel that it haunts us a little. We can't get away from it. We can't get away from who we are. I'm. Ashamed of things that I've done in my life. Things that I can't take back. Words that I wish I hadn't said. Many of us want to forget our past, but here, Paul says, remember. In fact, remember your past, you must remember, because if you remember your past, you'll better appreciate who you are now and even better appreciate your future. So don't forget it. Paul was talking to Gentiles in this letter, particularly, who had converted to Christianity and a Gentile was anybody who wasn't Jewish. That's what it really means. Anybody that wasn't Jewish. They weren't from Israel and part of their identity was being from outside of the faith community. They were outsiders and Paul wanted them to remember this. Look with me down at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, the latter half here. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by hands, by human hands, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. See, before these Gentiles were mocked by the Jews, they were identified as the uncircumcised, the appearance The habits that they had, like eating and the morals of the people, would have typically identified those as either uncircumcised or circumcised. Somebody recently was talking about how one would know that somebody was a eunuch in that time. And it's because of often the way that they dressed. They belonged to a particular court, a royal court. And if they wore those kinds of clothes, they identified them as they must be a eunuch then. Well, the same thing is true, I think, of the Gentiles and the Jews. There's certain things that each party did that you could see. They're not with us. They're not one of us. They're uncircumcised. Think about this for a moment. If you came to believe that the God of the Jews was the true God. You would still have a problem of belonging You are still not an insider. You can receive their God. You can say, I think that's probably true, but you wouldn't necessarily be welcomed inside the same way because you weren't from the right people. You may believe like an insider, but you would feel like an outsider and constantly question whether or not you had a place. I suspect it's a lot like new migrants coming to a country. You get approval to live there. You get a piece of paper saying you belong. And yet people still think you talk funny. They think you look different. They wonder whether or not you actually belong here. And you start to ask yourself the same questions. Will I ever be truly accepted? Well, the Gentiles are reminded that they once were separated from Christ. They once were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. They once were strangers of the covenants of promise. They had no access to these kinds of things. They didn't belong to the people that had these promises. They had no hope. And they were living their lives in this world, God's world, without God. Can you imagine? I hope you can, because that's who we were. That's who we were. In fact, in this passage earlier in chapter two, as, as we had it read it before, in verses one to three, listen to what it says. As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following His desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. His readers, Paul's readers, just like every other human being, used to be captivated by sin. They used to follow demonic powers, even whether they knew it or not. They followed the ways that were dead set against God, and you and I are among them. That's our past. When was the last time you remembered that you were a child of wrath? Somebody who was stockpiling wrath against yourself before God? God. It's more than just labeling. In fact, it's an unrealized destination. We used to be dead set heading towards wrath, and yet God rescued us out of that. But that was our destination. That was it. And it's unrealized. We've been kept from that now. And Paul wants his hearers to remember that they used to be people that were unsaved. They used to have no access to God because they didn't belong to his people. Remembering our past is very, very, very important, and it's very practical. You've all seen the way that um, weight loss photographs work, haven't you? TV at night, you have these advertisements of somebody, you know, I can do it without right now. I mean, you've got this big bulging gut, and then, you know, three months later, they're looking really slim, and you think, wow, what a contrast. That's That's good work. Now, if I've been working out for three months and I have no reference point of where I was three months ago, I don't really know where I've come to because I can't remember where I came from. I have no real appreciation of where I'm standing now. And the same thing is true here. You don't appreciate where you've come to unless you have a reference point for where you've come from. And Paul says we must remember where we've come from. Why? So that we can we can appreciate who we are now. And look at who we are now in verse 13. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that good news? We're going to explore in a moment just how wonderful the work of Jesus is for us, but for a moment here, just notice the change in our status. It hasn't come because we've changed. In other words, it hasn't come because we've changed ourselves. Our history hasn't been rewritten through a self-improvement scheme. It's come because of Jesus' blood. Jesus has affected the change in us. Unlike the before and after weight loss photos, I haven't been starving myself or doing 100 push-ups a day so that I can look better. Actually, somebody else intervened and did it for me. We've been accepted by God and we belong to his people because Jesus shed his blood. We who were far off have been brought close. We must remember our past so we can appreciate our present and our future. And second, we recognize our peace. We recognize our peace. Jesus himself is our peace, this passage tells us. A moment ago, we saw that the circumcision in verse 11 is something that's made in the flesh by human hands. You can see that in the parentheses there in verse 11. This is not meant to be a graphic detailing of the ceremonial, right? But what it's actually trying to say is this is something... Human made, human made in the flesh. And in the flesh is not something good. Something now, though, that you see is that Jesus in his flesh brings peace to us. Something used to be done in the flesh by people seeking something. Now Jesus does in his flesh for us. Look with me at verse 14 down to 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Previously, the Jews and the Gentiles existed together kind of like Berlin before the end of the Cold War. There was just a big wall running right down the middle of it. There was this dividing wall separating them. The law was the divider. It separated the Jews from the Gentiles, but also it acted like a fence Closing off the juice from other people. If we keep these things, we've got enough cushion, enough of a barrier to not be like you. If I do these things, I'm not in danger of becoming a pagan. That was the idea. So there was this huge barrier that stood, a cultural buffer. You kind of see this in couples when they're dating. If we don't kiss, we won't do anything worse. So we set up boundaries for ourselves. That's the kind of idea that's happening here. But Jesus has just brought Jews and Gentiles together by bringing them both into Him. One new humanity. He's made one new body. The church. And the body is one of the most incredible pictures that we get of the church in the Bible. And we're going to look at this in tonight's sermon, seeing a bit more about the body. But we're brought together in a new body. It doesn't mean that our differences go away. In fact, there's still diversity. And one of the great things um, that I've heard about your church is that it's very diverse in many different ways. I love going to a church that's diverse. I look around, I see different ages. I see different colors of skin. I see different styles. I see men and women. I see so many great things that come together together And a great picture of the gospel. The gospel bringing us together in one new humanity. Have you ever thought about um, if you would hang out with all these people otherwise? I certainly wouldn't hang out with most of my church. I'll just tell you now. Not because I don't like them. Not because they're not lovely people. But because there's no other way that we would otherwise come together. And yet because of Jesus, we come together and love each other. I mean, from our guts, love each other. That's an incredible thing that God does for us in the church. Jesus has brought peace to us as his people. No longer is there this barrier. Instead, there's a blessing. We can now appreciate properly the differences that exist among us. And this is because the one thing that used to separate us from each other has been put away. The law has been abolished. What's better with our peace with one another, though, is peace that we now have with God, that we have peace. Sort of this direction, if you will. I look out and and we can be okay, And that's because actually Jesus did something by bringing peace between us and God himself. Previously, the law was seen as a way of people getting closer to God. But of course, this wasn't the case. The law exposed just how far humanity was from God and how desperate they were for God's mercy. And God showed mercy to us in Jesus, His Son. He put away the law for us on the cross. He finished it for us at the cross. And when He did so, our hostility with God was finished. And so the passage tells us that Jesus came And he preached peace, verse 17, to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He's declared to the furthest nation. To the most diverse people. That we can have peace. Peace with each other. Peace with God. Isaiah told this was going to happen. And he said, how beautiful upon the feet, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's gospel news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. And later in Isaiah, we hear the words that would come from Jesus. Peace. Peace. Have you thought about that? There's actual peace between us. Actual peace with God. And all can have access to God in the same spirit. Now, I think it's very difficult to understand the hostility that would be in this passage. We don't live in Ephesus. We don't live in the ancient world. We don't feel the pressures that Gentiles would have felt coming into the community in the same way. We don't know what it was like to be a first century Jew. We don't, we don't get these tensions the same way. It's very difficult to fathom how offside somebody could have been, or what kind of friction you would have felt. I think the best way we can picture it, maybe, that might be way off, but it's something like the USA and North Korea. That's pretty intense, because you're, you, you watch these nations kind of at each other's throats, threatening nuclear war. You know, you're kind of wondering who's going to hit the button first. You see these military displays as close to the border as they can get. In fact, there's physical separation. You get the demilitarized zone. You don't have any communication back and forth at all, except for tweets or whatever else it may be. Uh, terrible stuff that's going on. But then suddenly and unexpectedly, there's a summit. And some kind of peace talk starts happening. And you can imagine what people would be thinking. I'm not really sure this is going to happen. I'm actually not sure we can trust one another. I'm not sure that we'll ever actually belong together. I'm not sure that we can actually really ever be friends. Can we actually ever fit in together? But recognize it's not the same for us because we have a guarantee of peace. Something far more than just each other's words something far more than a a treaty that might be signed to denuclearize a peninsula. We have Christ himself hanging on the cross. Christ himself putting away the greatest weapon that divides us. Finishing it once for all, bringing us into one new humanity, one new body into him so that we can live together peaceably and we can live with God peaceably. So there's... Two ways we need to realize this peace, then we need to realize it with each other. And I realize it's not talking about us the same way. It's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But should we not know peace among each other in the congregation? Should we not be able to respect difference and see what God has brought together in the gospel? There's no superiority here. Now, I don't know you. I mean, I know a few of you. right? I have the privilege of working with a few people here. But I suspect if you're anything like me, you have ongoing sin in your heart that wants to categorize people in some kind of pecking order, even in Christian circles. We want to think about how things like Gender or race or age or stage or class actually put us into the mix. And too often, I think, congregations provide special privilege for somebody because maybe just because they're older. Or they've got more money or more degrees or they're a man or maybe they're a woman or maybe they've got kids or maybe they're married you see, we can't have that in the church because Christ brings us together in one new humanity, one new family even, and says we have peace. Peace in one body. There also needs to be realization of this peace with God. So We have peace with each other, but we actually have to have peace with God. We need to realize that God himself brought peace to us. So we're not his enemies anymore. Now, you watch people get haunted by guilt, haunted by things of the past, and they don't actually appreciate that they now have unrestricted access to God. And this is perhaps the most wonderful and characteristic mark of the Christian life. We get to call God our Father. We get to call God our Father He's not just an abstract set of ideas. We don't just talk about God as if He's something out there, somewhere, some kind of power, something like that. We know Him personally. And we say, God, You are my Father. Here are my needs. Help. God, You love me. I get to love You. God, You have brought me into a new family. And you've provided for me these ways. How wonderful. We can call on God as our Father and be reassured of His love for us and His acceptance of us. This brings us to our final point that we need to realize our place. We look at our place. Paul brings us back to some of the images that he's used earlier to show us that we are no longer strangers or aliens, instead, in verse 19, were fellow citizens with the saints. That is other Christians. And we are even members of God's family, his household. And this is an important image, actually, this household image, because God's household means that we are with him, even as he is our father. And it also takes us back to a picture that's shown to us in Ephesians 1, verse 10. That God made a plan to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in, Christ, in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's plan of bringing all things together in Jesus involves all of us coming into God's household. Now that's a place. So our membership in God's household was part of God's great plan to bring all things in Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how many fans there are of um, Downton Abbey here. Um, I, of course, watch it because my wife watches it and forces me. I like motorcycles and guitars. All right. Um, I like an occasional episode of Downton Abbey, if I'm being really honest in this congregation. Um, Now, Downton Abbey explores um, the relationship of different classes in English society in the 20th century, the early 20th century. A great house, if you don't know it, upstairs, aristocracy, downstairs, servants. And there's this upstairs, downstairs sort of tension, divide of going on between class and status and Expectations of what you can do or can't do because of these things. Now, um, one of the many points of drama in the TV series is when the daughter of the family falls in love with the chauffeur. There's tension there, right? And he's Irish. I'm staring at Peter. Orr. Um, not even just Irish. He's Catholic and a socialist to boot. Right. So here's this English aristocracy, Protestant family. And the daughter running away with the chauffeur. There's a big tension there. Well, they get married. And um, the question that comes up is, how does he fit in? How does this guy Branson, as he used to be called when he drove the car, now Tom, as he's welcomed into the family, how does Tom get to fit in upstairs? Can he ever have a place there? Will he ever be welcome? He wasn't born into it. He doesn't have a right to it. He's married into it. And now he's got place. And what you watch is him learning to live in that people and that people learning to live with him. And it's this great way of seeing something coming together. He grows into a place where he doesn't feel he belongs. Others who were previously insiders grow as they welcome the outsider. And this is the new citizenship that we have in God's people. We once had no place, but now we do. What's more, no one, no one really ever had a place apart from God's grace. None of us have ever been entitled to it. Well, Paul uses this great building illustration. He says the church is like a holy temple. It's a structure that's being built together on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the messengers who brought the gospel. And even more, we're being aligned on a foundation of Jesus. We're being aligned to Jesus as kind of the leading stone. He's the primary stone, which everything else is squared to. We're being packed tightly together into this building, being built up as a temple for God. God is building his temple, a place for him to dwell. Now, one of the best things that this passage shows us in the very end, actually, is that we started here saying you were regarded as Gentiles in the flesh. You were regarded as Gentiles in the flesh, outsiders in the flesh now you are welcomed. In fact, you're being built together as a temple for God in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Flesh is not a good term in the Bible, I told you before. It represents typically our efforts, our ways of, our ways of the world set against God, but now because of Jesus, we're a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. God has become our Father Because of Jesus Christ, His Son. And now God is not someone we can just visit in the temple. But we are His temple. Think about that. Think about how far off these people would have felt. Even if they made pilgrimage to Israel and got to walk into the temple excluded. I can only get so close because of who I am. But now, not even just being kept outside, God comes in. God comes into this dwelling, this new people. As We move to the next two passages today. I hope that what we've seen so far in this text will become just even more rich. We'll appreciate it all the more. All of us are desperate for acceptance. And because of Jesus, hostility has ended. He has brought peace. In fact, he is our peace. There's a new humanity in Christ and the church is one body being built into a holy temple for the spirit of God to dwell. We who had no place are now welcomed. We who were excluded have been included. So we remember our past. We see our peace and we realize our place. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for what You've done for us in Jesus, bringing peace to us that we were not owed, bringing together random people that wouldn't have otherwise coexisted together, but bringing us incredibly close, having real peace because of Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that he's undone. He has abolished the law that has divided us. Thank you that he has abolished the law that brought hostility between us and you. Thank you, Lord, that he has brought peace to us with you. And thank you for the privilege now that we have of calling you our Father and for your spirit dwelling in us. Work in us, we pray, even as we listen to your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen.